0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. this morning, I have a message that I'm very excited about uh, today. So you can, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I got a timer going here so I don't preach for nine hours. Here we go. John chapter 10. We're going to read here in just a few moments from verse 7, but we'll get to that in just a, in just a moment. I'd like for you after you've turned there to uh, look up on the screens and we're gonna gonna make our confession that we make every single Sunday or most Sundays. You're watching us online. You can see this on your screen and you're here in the house. You can see it on on your screen. Let's go ahead and declare this and say this out loud together. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Just say that last line one more time just for me. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that we're growing in the things of God this morning here at Hope Church. Amen. John chapter 10 verse 7. About a week and a half ago... um, a little over, little over a week and a half ago, on our way home from our vacation, we went to Italy for two weeks, and it was magnificent, as you could imagine it would be. Uh, but on our way home from our vacation, we were in a hotel in Boston and doing our, our layover, and uh, the Lord began to challenge me to believe Him for greater things. To believe the Lord for greater things than I had been. I was inspired when I heard the testimony of a gentleman... And it caused me to begin to take inventory of where my trust level and my faith was with the Lord. Have you ever felt like your faith was on autopilot? Anybody? Anybody bold enough to raise a hand this morning? say, Yeah, absolutely. Not just me. You ever felt like your like your trust level with God was just on autopilot? Like you know, nothing really bad's going on in my life, so I'm good. Nothing really crazy good's going on in my life. I'm just kind of on cruise control in my relationship with the Lord. I'm just kind of on cruise control in what I'm believing God for. I'm very thankful for everything that He's done, but I'm not particularly believing Him for anything greater than where I'm at. I've become comfortable. I've become content. In my life, I put it this way. I wrote, I wrote it down this way. Am I really trusting you, God, or am I just saying that I'm trusting you? How specific are we willing to get with the things that we are depending on God for? Have you figured this out? God likes it when you depend on Him. Amen. God likes it when you depend on him. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, don't you? It says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think about that for a moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God set things up in such a way that in order to be pleasing to him, we would be required to trust him. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that really rattles me a little bit. Like, man, God, you orchestrated this life. You orchestrated our relationship with you in such a way that in order for you to have pleasure in me and pleasure in my life, I would be required to become dependent and trusting in you. What a thought. You see, we don't necessarily live with that reality in front of us all the time, but it's there constantly. If you realize that you don't, you can't breathe without God, <laughs> your eyes don't work without Him, your lungs don't work without you can't even wake up every morning unless God gets you up unless unless the Lord was there to sustain you, where would we be? Amen. You see, I don't want to ever get to the place in my life where I become so calculated that I stop depending on Jesus. I don't want to get to the place where my life becomes so predictable that I've just, I've put the Lord in this little perfect box. I don't have to trust him anymore. I don't want to become my own source. Amen, are you with me this morning? I want God to be my source. I want to always be trusting in him. See, how does this work? Real quickly, how does this work? I I, I read the Bible. This is how this works, okay? I read the Bible. How I many of you like to read your Bible? you know, read your Bible? I read the Bible, and when I read the Bible, it shows me all the promises of God. I just recently heard Pastor Jimmy Evans, who's, I'm a big fan of Pastor Jimmy, and, and he said this, he said, the, the, the enemy works overtime, the devil works overtime to keep you out of the Bible. And one of the primary reasons he does so is because you can't turn to a page hardly in this book without finding a promise that God made you. God made us, made us so many promises in his word. And, and you can't hardly open the Bible without reading a promise. I'll be with you. I'll be with you in trouble. I'll be with you in good times. I, I'm, I'm here to stay. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'll be your provider. I'll be your source. I'll be your sustainer. I'll be your help. I'll be your your, your help in time of need. I'm your healer. I'm your, Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. This book is full of promises from God. So, so how does it work? Well, I read the Bible. I read the promises of God. The Holy Spirit helps me to understand what it is that I'm reading, and then I choose to believe it. And from that moment forward, I'm now depending on God to stay true to what he said in his word. That's how faith works. As we were coming home from Italy, I I, I was reminded of this, and I I thought to myself, Lord, what am I actually believing you for? I feel like in some ways my faith has just kicked over into autopilot. I've just gotten real comfortable. I'm not really actively pursuing you for any of the things that you've given to me in your word. If you know sometimes our comfort can be our biggest enemy. Amen? Oh, that was good. It was tweetable. (laughs) No, sometimes our comfort can become our greatest enemy, so long as it stops us from pursuing God. So God began to challenge me to take an inventory and get specific about what I was believing Him for. Because I want you to understand something. As a leader and as the pastor of this church, I'm believing God for things that don't just affect my family, I believe in God for things that affect you too and your family and your kids and this community. i got to believe God for big, crazy, crazy, audacious things on behalf of our community. So the title of my message this morning is Way Too Much. If you're taking notes and you want to write down a title, some of you like that sort of thing. If you want to write down a title, today my title is Way Too Much. God has way too much good in store for you and he is inviting all of us to begin to believe him and trust him for it. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity once again to come before your word and to speak what your word says. Lord, I pray that as I I share these things this morning that it would become reality to those who are hearing it. Holy Spirit, as we've we've already declared, we, we want you to give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear tonight, this morning, that we might receive everything you have for us. So challenge us as we peer into this word and show us what it is that you have in store for us. Encourage us and challenge us to believe you for greater things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Way too much, John chapter 10, and I want us to begin reading in verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 11. I'm going to read it to you this morning in two different passages, or excuse me, two different translations. Firstly, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, and then I'll read to you from the Message Bible. John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus is talking here, and he's speaking with his disciples and just a little bit of context before we read it he's using imagery of a sheep of a shepherd and sheep okay so he's talking in shepherding terms as we read through this verse 7 jesus speaking then jesus said to them again most assuredly i say to you i am the door of the sheep all who ever came before me are thieves And robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now there's three three parties, three groups that are mentioned in this passage. Number 1, the good shepherd. Number 2, the thieves and the robbers, and number 3, the sheep. Okay? Just keep this in mind as we're going through this passage and as we unpack these ideas. Three groups mentioned here the good shepherd. We know who he is, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. Amen. And then you got the thieves and the robbers. And then you got the sheep. Who's the sheep? Amen. Us. You guys are very smart. Good job. Gold star, boys and girls. You get it. That's awesome. Let me read it to you again from the message translation. This is such a, I love the message. It's such a plain English way to read the Bible. It's so easy to understand. Here it is again. John 10, 7 through 11, from the message. It says, Jesus told them this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. I'll be explicit then, he said. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep rustlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for and will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd Puts the sheep before himself. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd puts the sheep before himself. You see, I I think that people who, this is just kind of a little side note for a second, I think people that struggle with the idea that God is good and struggle with the idea that God wants to bless them actually believe that God is selfish. I really do because there's some folks you talk to them and they just they struggle so hard to believe that God is actually good, that He actually wants what's best for them. They struggle to believe that God would even be willing to bless them. And I think that those folks who struggle on that, often if you actually really dig down into it, I really believe they think God's selfish, that God doesn't want to share His abundance with us. But Jesus kind of sets the record straight here. He he said that it was the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. See, the shepherd cares more about the sheep than he does himself. I, I wrote it down in my notes this way, and if you're taking notes, as I often encourage you to do, you may want to write this down. Jesus made it all about us so that we in turn would make it all about him. Let me say that again. Jesus made it all about us. What did he do? What did Jesus do? Uh, uh, We just talked about it in communion. He went to the cross, didn't he? He laid his whole self down completely so that he would redeem us. Jesus made it all about us so that we, in turn, would make it all about him. Jesus laid his life down for us so that we would have an opportunity to lay our lives down for him. Amen. Thank you, Joe, for that one solitary loan. Amen. I appreciate that, brother. That's super good. Now, you see, one of those two statements without the other doesn't work. You can't just say that it's all about Jesus because he made it all about us when he went to the cross. But you also can't say it's all about us because that's really selfish and self-centered. And it's really not all about us. It's all about Jesus. But I thought it was all about us. But it's all about us. But it's all about Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. But it's all about us. No, I said it exactly the way I wanted you to hear it. Jesus laid his life down because the good shepherd puts his life down for the sheep. The good shepherd cares more about the sheep than he does himself. So I I said it this way because I meant it this way. Jesus made it all about us so that we in turn could make it all about him. It's just like a marriage, man. My, My wife and I, we love each other. We just celebrated 16 years of marriage. It's been pure bliss, not an argument, not a frustrated moment. Our marriage is so perfect, it's just incredible. Kids constantly, orderly, always listening, never an argument. It's like floating on a cloud. Now, y'all have been alive long enough to know that's not possible. But but no, listen, here's, here's here's how a marriage works. I lay my life down for her. She lays her life down for me. I make sure she gets what she needs. She makes sure I get what I need, and everybody's taken care of. It's just like a marriage. It's just like this symbiotic relationship that we have with Jesus where he gives himself for us, and we, in turn, give ourselves to him. Amen? If we're going to believe God for what he has promised us, we first have to settle it in on our hearts and our minds that he actually wants to give it to us. If we're going to believe that God's a good God and that he has lots in store for us. Remember, the title of my message is way too much. What does God want to give you in your life? Way too much, man. Way too much. You see that all throughout the, the scriptures. You see that constantly. God says in Malachi chapter 3, he says, give, give to me, tithe to me, and, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing on you that there's not even room enough for you to contain it. God's a way too much God. But see, if we want to receive the things he has in store for us, we've got to come to to grips with this reality. And we've got to settle it in our lives once and for all that he actually wants us to have it. And he's actually good enough to lay his life down for us. He's actually good enough to bless us abundantly. It's a little uncomfortable. It challenges us. It pushes against our our beliefs a little bit. It kind of challenges uh, some of the things we may have thought or some of the things we may have been taught. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's, there's, I've heard lots and lots over the years of, of, of people that, that think that God's angry with them. They think that God's mad. They think that God's just always looking for an excuse to punish them. I'm here to tell you that's not the character of our God. Amen. He's, he's not vengeful. He's not angry. Do you know that God's not angry this morning? He's not frustrated. He's not sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, frustrated with humanity. Oh, these idiots down there, they can't get it together. No, he loves us with an unquenchable love. And he's, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So no matter how hard you screw up tomorrow morning, he's got fresh mercy for you. He's willing to forgive you again. Amen. So God actually wants to bless us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to be our supply. He wants to be the source of our lives. And he proves it in this passage. Verse 7, Jesus said that he's the doorway into everything that God has in store for us. In other words, everything comes through him. Everything comes through him. You want joy in your household and in your marriage? It's going to come through Jesus. You want abundance and provision on your job or in your business or in your line of work? It's going to come through Jesus. I mean, it comes through hard work too, but it's gonna come through Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one that blesses what you set your hands to. You still gotta set your hand to something, but he wants to bless it. You want your marriage to be in total peace? It's gonna come through Jesus. It's gonna come as you submit your marriage and your lives to him. You want your kids to walk in obedience and be good orderly children. And 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 you know, how many of you are just trying so hard not to raise screw-ups? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I got three beautiful, awesome little girls that I love with all my heart. And Breanne and I, we're just trying every, every day. Just, man, I just, Lord, help us not to raise a bunch of screw-ups, right? And hey, if you're a screw-up, there's room for you too. Come on, man. You're in the right place. Glory to God. Jesus loves you so much, no matter how hard you screw up. But, you know, if you, want, if you want to be successful in your endeavors, that's what I'm trying to say this morning. If you want to have this life that Jesus promised, it's going to come through him first and foremost. He says it right here in verse 7. He's the doorway. Everything comes through him. Jesus is our access to God's best for our lives. Why? Because Jesus is God's best for our lives. Amen? How many of you figured out nothing beats Jesus? Amen. I'm going to get halfway Pentecostal in here this morning. There is no life apart from him. Now he keeps going, and I want to read verse 8 again. If you give me verse 8 on the screen there. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. This is such an interesting verse because of the way that the Greek language is written in this verse. I think most of you probably know the New Testament written in Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew. In the Greek here, it's, a, it's written a very interesting way. There, there's some question about exactly who Jesus is referring to here when he says, all those who came before me. There's some question about exactly who Jesus is referring to, it could be the scribes, it it could be the Pharisees or the chief priests, It, it could be someone that's made mention of in the Old Testament. But I believe that the key to understanding this verse is actually found in the word before. You see it up there? All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. I believe that word in the Greek is the key to understanding this verse. Because in the Greek, this word before means in front of. In front of. Kind of changes the whole way that you read the verse, doesn't it? All who ever came or ever come in front of me are thieves and robbers. Something or someone who tries to position themselves in front of Jesus in your life is a thief and a robber. Anything, I wrote it in bold in my notes, anything trying to wedge itself in between Jesus and us is a thief and a robber. And guess what, guys? It could be anything. It could be Netflix. It could be your job or your hobbies. It could be your obsession with coffee. I'm telling you, it could be an unhealthy relational attachment to someone. It could be anything. Do you? I mean, I mean, like literally anything. There's anything. Listen, the enemy will use anything he can get his fingers on to wedge it between you and Jesus. Jesus said, anybody who comes in front of me, anything that gets in front of me in your relationship with me is just a tool of the enemy. A thief and a robber. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this verse, says the following words Rivals with Christ are robbers of his church. Rivals with Christ are robbers of his church if it's trying to position itself in front of Jesus in your life, it's in danger of becoming a tool to be used by the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The enemy, Satan, in in his working in our lives is constantly trying to create rivalry between something and Jesus. I know there's been times in my life when I've had to put on pause or put on hold different things that I like or enjoy. Not bad things, not sin, but just different things that, 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 I, that, that I could just get too excited about and a little bit over the top on. I like to cook. It's one of my favorite things. You know this because I talk about it regularly from the pulpit. I like to eat. I was raised in an Italian household, eating the best Italian food since the time I was born. And you know what? I love it, unapologetically. But sometimes, sometimes if I'm not all day wanting to look at pizza videos on YouTube, I'll spend all afternoon, I, I may burn in two hours downstairs at the office just getting in a YouTube wormhole about handmade gnocchi or where the best tomatoes come from. You see, listen, why do I say that? Because anything, my friend, can become an idol. Anything if it's left unchecked in our lives can become a rival. The enemy will will stop at nothing to take the littlest thing and blow it and balloon it up into our lives until it wedges itself between us and Jesus. And Jesus said really clear, anything that does that is a thief and a robber. You need to start to recognize when the enemy's trying to gain ground and gain and encroach in your life. Amen. But listen to the contrast that the Lord gives us from verse 8 to verse 9. He said, anybody who came before me is a thief and a robber, but the sheep didn't hear them. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and come out and find pasture. You see, Jesus is making a distinction here between the good shepherd and the thief and the robber. He said, if there's something tries to get in between you and me, that's just a tool from the enemy to steal and to kill and destroy. But if you come to me and you come through me, you'll be saved. Hallelujah. Anybody who comes to the Lord through Jesus will be saved. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says it so clearly. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Anybody who comes to the Lord through Jesus will be saved. You can be saved this morning. You can be set free. You can be delivered from the bondage and the prison of sin. Amen. And it's that he'll go on and find pasture. You know what that reminds me of? How many of you grew up uh, quoting or, or listening to or singing Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. You know, you, know that, you know that one? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That sounds an awful lot like what Jesus is promising to us here in John chapter 10. Go in, we go out, we find pasture. What does that equate to? Our provision. Not only does Jesus want to be the saver of our lives, he wants to be the provider as well. Now let's keep going. Verse 10, this is our target verse. Everything I've set up to you, uh, to you this morning up until this point is just a setup to get us to this spot. Are you ready? This is the big grand slam, okay? <laughs> verse number 10. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. This verse, as I said to you before, shows us all three of the different groups or parties mentioned in this passage. In this verse, we have all three of them. We got the good shepherd. That's Jesus. We got the thief. And we got the sheep. We got the good shepherd. We got the thief. We got the sheep. What does the thief come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy now, it's interesting, okay, because you know me, you know I'm a nerd, and I like to dig into things, and so I went into the Greek on this verse, too. And it's real interesting, the, the Greek words for steal and kill are pretty much exactly what you would expect them to be, right? Steal, take away, the actual Greek word for steal here is klepto, which I thought is pretty funny, because it's pretty much exactly the same in the English, which is pretty wild, but, uh, but, but the word steal and kill are pretty self-explanatory. But this word destroy in the Greek is really interesting. It really means to ruin or to render useless. I found that interesting. I found it interesting that that's saved for the end. He says the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, if the enemy can't steal from you, and if he can't at least kill you, the least he's going to try to do is ruin you or make you completely useless, just render you completely useless. If the enemy can't kill you, he'll at least work overtime on your faith so that you'll just stop believing God altogether and just become a bl. I don't know about you, I don't want to be a bl. <laughs> That's a technical term if you're wondering. No, I found that word destroy to be very interesting. That at the very least, he's going to work overtime to render my life useless. And I'm afraid that sometimes Christians, uh, without knowing it, get to that point. The devil can't kill us. We've given our lives to Jesus and we've made him the Lord of our life. And praise God, we're going to heaven and we're loving Jesus the whole way. And maybe, maybe he can't steal from us. Maybe our faith's strong enough to believe him not to steal from us. But man, I, I, I've been a Christian in my life that's been useless at times. You ever been useless? <laughs> or you ever felt useless at the very least? You see, if the enemy can't kill you and if he can't steal from you, he'll at least try to render you useless. Who does the stealing, the killing, and the destroying can we just can we just set the record straight once and for all that it's not god who's stealing killing and destroying in this verse is it the good shepherd or the thief in this verse that does the stealing the killing and the destroying you see i think we have to set the record straight because once again religion may have taught us for so many years that it's god who's vengeful who's just looking for an excuse just looking for a reason to come you know and just Knock you on the head because you screwed up again. I think people believe, people really just incorrectly but sincerely believe about God that he's the one punishing them. The reality is God is good and he's a good shepherd. And the reason he came is that we would have life and that more abundantly. Let me read it one more time to you in the message. It just says this, A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. Real and eternal life, both in the here and now and beyond this life into eternity. just amazing to me that that we manage in our own corrupted thinking sometimes to switch these two things around to make God the bad guy right and it's a challenge to us something bad happens in our life and sometimes the first thing we think is what's God trying to teach me Is God really the one trying to teach you something? Or is the enemy, the thief coming after you to steal and kill and destroy? I think we have to set the record straight once and for all that it's God who's good. Perfect in his goodness. Perfect in his justice. Perfect in all of his ways. We used to sing that song all the time. Good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. You are perfect in all of your ways. So, my question then is, what did Jesus come to give us? Pretty easy. He spells it right out here for us. We've identified the thief. We know what the thief's packing, right? What has Jesus come to give us? Way too much life. Way too much. You say, really, pastor, way too much? Yeah, way too much. Let me prove it to you from the Greek. He says, again, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Pay attention to those two words, more abundantly. In the Greek, it's just a single word, and here's what it means. Are you ready? Here it comes. Christie is ready. I love it. I love it. Listen. Listen, I'm going to give you two, two sets of information here. So I want you to track with me for a second. The first one is the Greek definition of this word that means more abundantly. And then the second one is what's called the outline of biblical use. When you're dr- drilling down into Greek words, they give you all kinds of information. And it's categorized this way. The first is this, wor- this definition of the word more abundantly. Here's what it means. Superabundant in quantity or superior in quality by implication excessive exceeding abundantly above more abundantly the word advantage is in this definition very highly beyond measure more and superfluous ay 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 yeah Just be like is god a good god uh yeah <laughs> Let me read it to you one more time. Then, I haven't even gotten to the outline of biblical use yet. This is even better. But let me read you the definition one more time. It's a single Greek word that translates to more abundantly, and here's what it means. Super abundant in quantity, superior in quality. By implication, excessive. Exceeding abundantly above, more abundantly, the word advantage, very highly beyond measure, more, and superfluous. Do you think that God wants you to just have just enough joy? Uh Uh-uh. I learned this a long time ago. He's a too much kind of God. What did David say in Psalm 23? We quoted Psalm 23 a minute ago. What does he say at the very end? He said, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. God doesn't know where the, how big the, the, uh, he just, let me give you. uh, Lord, you're getting it on the table. Come on, he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. He's just a too much kind of God. Now, listen to this. This is the outline of biblical use. Are you ready for this? Ay, ay, ay. Exceeding some number or measure or rank or need over and above, more than is necessary, super added. I didn't even know that super added was a word. But it is. It's a real English word. I looked it up, and it means added to something that there was already something added to. All right? Kind of like my grandmother was when she would give me some, you know, third helpings of rigatoni. It's like, no, 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 I'm full. No, here, let's have a little bit more. Have a little bit more. Have a little bit more. More than is necessary, super added, exceeding abundantly, supremely, something further, more, much more than all, more plainly superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon preeminence, superiority, and advantage, more remarkable, eminent, and more excellent. When God is talking about the life that he wants to freely give to you, this is how he defines it. It's no wonder that the message, when it translates this, says, I want to give more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Not just when you get off into heaven in the sweet by and by. But right here, right now, God has more for you and I than we could even imagine. I want you to do something. I want you to take this reality and begin to apply it to all of the promises that God has made in his word for you. Say, Pastor, this sounds like a a very selfish kind of message. I don't mean it to be selfish at all. In fact, I I would ask you this question. Why would Jesus come to give us such an abundance of life? Why would Jesus come to give us such abundance of life? It's because he loves you. And you're his kid. He loves you and you're his child. You want to know why else? Because he loves the people around you too. Why would Jesus come to give us such abundant life? because he loves me because I'm his kid and number 2 he loves all the people that are around me too the different people that may be attached to me in my life for one reason or another he loves me but he loves my wife too he loves my kids too he loves me but but he loves the people that I work with too He loves me, but he loves my neighbor just as much as he loves me. He he loves me and he loves that cranky old aunt in my family that I can't stand, but Jesus still loves her. And, And the thing is, God wants you to be so super abundant in everything that he's promised you that there's not only enough for you, but that your life becomes a fountain that springs over and begins to bless the people and make an impact in the people around you. It's not just for us to hoard Amen. I'm not here just to suck up all the blessings I can get because I'm a greedy little kid. No, I want my life to be so abundant with the life of God that it begins to become, uh, you know, to have an impact on the people around me. Oftentimes, God is looking for someone that he can work with and work through to bless a multitude of Amen. Why would Jesus give us such abundance of life? Number one, because He loves you. I, I had one of the most profound experiences that I've ever had with the Lord in my life. One time, I was at a conference, and I was there uh, with some very, very dear friends, people that I love, and uh, and they're they're ministers as well. My, it was my buddy Joey, actually, was the guy who was. On the conference, and he had he had brought some fairly big name preachers in to speak at this conference. Guys that I looked up to, and so we're there. And 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 I I remember I, after the service was over, we were we were chopping it up with the preachers afterwards. You know, we were just hanging out, having some food, and just relaxing. And 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 there I was with a bunch of preachers, Frankie, that that are like guys on TV and stuff. And I remember feeling so insignificant. And I remember going back to my hotel room that night, just like Linus and Charlie Brown, you know, (laughs) just dragging my little blanket behind me, licking my wounds. I felt so insecure. I got back to my hotel and I was like, Lord, I'm in a room with people I don't belong with, you know. Lord began to remind me of his love And boy, I'll tell you what, if you want something that will absolutely challenge your faith to the core and and tickle every religious bone in your body, start to meditate on, start to realize and think about how much Jesus loves you. Realize that if you were the only human being on planet Earth, he still would have died for you by yourself. You want to get uncomfortable in a really good way? Start to realize how much Jesus loves you. I got back to my hotel room that night, and I began to, I just, I just laid in the bed, and I was there, and it was funny, I was sharing, sharing a hotel room with my best friend, Perry. He came with me, and he was out cold, and so it was just me laying in the bed, and I'm like looking up at the ceiling, thinking about how insignificant I felt. And I just started to say these words. I said them under my breath because I didn't want to wake Perry up. I just said these words. I said, Lord, I thank you that you love me. Love me. Lord, I thank you that you love me. And I don't know how many times I said it. Could have been 15, could have been 150. I don't know. But in that moment, I had one of the most profound real experiences with God that I've ever had in my life. And his presence began. I mean, it filled up our hotel room. I'm sure Perry had the best sleep of his life. It just filled our hotel room. And I just sat there. And what started as insecurity moved over into just basking in the goodness of God and realizing that if if I was the only one, he still would have died for me. Lord, I thank you that you love me so much. See, you've got to to settle it in your heart and mind once and for all that Jesus loves you and that his love knows no boundaries for you And that really and truly, he actually does want to bless you with way too much. Way too much peace. Way too much joy. Way too much love. Way too much mercy. Way too much grace. Way too much provision and abundance. Way too much power. Way too much anointing. Are you getting this this morning? Way too much of whatever you need. That's the character of the God we serve. Hey Pastor Josh, how can I trust that this is God's desire for my life? How can I trust that this is what the Lord wants for me? One thing for me to get up here and talk about it and say it, but 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 what what can drive it home for us this morning? How can I trust that this is really God's desire for my life? Way too much. Number one, because He said so right here in verse ten. That's why you can trust it. Because in verse 10, he said so. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Who's the they? Us, the sheep. Remember, that's the other group in this verse. How can I trust this is God's desire, number one, because he said so. Number two, because he proved it. Verse 11. Did you forget about verse 11? He says, "The the shepherd Lays his life down for the sheep. Why is it that you and I can trust that Jesus wants our very best? Not just because he said so, but because his actions equal what he said. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He substituted his perfect life in exchange for our lives of sin and brokenness. The Bible says he lives forever to make intercession for us. The word intercession means to make up the difference. So Jesus lives forever, and part of what he's doing is he's consistently always making intercession for us, always swapping out our brokenness for his perfection, our broken life for his perfect life. I want to close with the same question that I started with today. Knowing what we just uncovered about God's desire to give us this kind of abundance in our lives. Knowing that, what am I depending on him for right now? Has my faith gone into autopilot? Is there some place in your life this morning that you could say, You know what, Lord? It's time for me to believe you for more in my marriage. It's time to believe you, Father, for more in my ministry and what I've been called to do. It's time for me, God, to believe you for more in my mental health. In, 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 in You know, Lord, I keep finding myself getting distracted and disturbed, and, and mentally I'm not where I need to be. I keep getting discouraged, and I'm dealing with depression. Is it time for you to say, you know what, Lord? You said that I would have a good life, a more and abundant life time for me to begin to believe you for that in my mind. It's time for me to believe you for that in my finances, in my relationships, in everything that I'm setting my hand to. I want to challenge you this morning. If your faith's in autopilot, put your foot on the gas today. Come on. If you've just been, if you've just been on cruise control, get off cruise control. It's time to get a speeding ticket, man. Come on. Let's put our foot down. amen. I want you to stand at your feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.